0: Uh-oh, you're not, you're not going to make yourself throw up, are you?
1: Like, wait, I have a list. Other, I can fix this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen Pitch Perfect? The show about the singer, the acapella singers? No, the, I haven't. college, uh, women in college. And they, it's super, it's super fun. It's like. That sounds cool. Tongue in cheek doesn't take itself too seriously. Good songs like Glee-ish. I'm not the biggest fan of Glee, but at least it's like, it has cool music every 10 minutes, you know? Anyways, there's one of them uh, that projectile vomits when she gets nervous. And so when well, you, well, you were going like this, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> are we, are yeah. we pitch <laughs>
1: That's That's my interview
0: prep, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the interview prep. <laughs> Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. And this week, I'm joined by Tracy Osborne. You know her as Tracy Makes. On x.com. And she spoke with Leon Barnard of Balsamic. They talk about how to design faster and more effectively with wireframing. Tracy, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be part of the podcast.
0: Yeah, we're trying something a little different this week. So we are longtime friends with Balsamic, as people know. This podcast, as well as Microconf, have long followed Peldi. Peldi's spoken at MicroConf many times and has been a longtime supporter. And Balsamic reached out and said, we've written a book, several of our team members have written a book. And I thought this is a great opportunity to talk about wireframing and design on the podcast. But I don't have expertise in it. And frankly, my interest level with it is not as high as other folks I know. So I sent you an email. And I said, Tracy, you want, <laughs> you want to handle this? And you said?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and so, so you, I, I teased it a little bit. You interviewed Leon. What's the book? And what's it about?
1: You know, when people see the word wireframing, they think of something like this, you know, the super designers out there who focus on all the super designy stuff. And wireframing seems like a concept that only applies to someone who has a degree or who is doing that as their full time job. I left at the opportunity to do this interview because this wireframing is something that I've had in my toolbox since I have a graphic design degree, but it's not something I see often talked about in the startup entrepreneur, non-designer world. You know, it looks kind of intimidating. It looks like it's something that might slow down your processes, but in reality, it's something that can help you go faster and do more and communicate better with other folks out there. So it was really exciting to kind of leap into with Leon.
0: Well, and we shouldn't leave out Leon's co-authors. There's actually three authors of the book, and all three of them work at balsamic. And who better to write a book like this than folks who are day-to-day, 40 hours a week, thinking about wireframing, building software products for people who want to wireframe. So there's probably software entrepreneurs listening to this or aspiring founders who may think they don't care about wireframing. Why would they need to know that? So as a final pitch before we dive in, Tracy, why should someone listen to this episode?
1: wireframing helps you figure out the ideas you want for the way that your website works, whether that's the front end or the back end, allows you to try different concepts in a faster way, allows you to take those concepts to folks who may give you feedback or the designer you're working with so you can share what you want to work on, allows you to talk with your team members about what you want to do without having to have a full-fledged final mock-up and overall allows founders to work faster.
0: Before we dive into the episode, I have two announcements for you. The first is that TinySeed applications for our fall 2023 accelerator batch will be open from September 4th to the 16th. We are funding companies in two batches. We have our Americas and our EMEA batch, that's Europe, Middle East and Africa. And if you have at least $500 in MRR and you're looking for the perfect amount of funding, as well as world-class mentorship you can't get anywhere else, and a tight-knit community unlike any you've been part of, head to tinyseed.com slash apply. If it's from September 4th to the 16th, applications will be open and you can apply there. Usually takes about 10 minutes. If they're not open, you can enter your email to be notified when we open the doors. I hope to see your application. And my second announcement is that while some of you might have spent the summer vacationing or spending time at the lake, our team at MicroConf has been gearing up for one of the biggest announcements we've ever made. The last time we made a major announcement was in 2019. So I don't want to jinx it, but there are some pretty amazing things coming down the line to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. If you want to be the first to hear about it, head over to futureofmicroconf.com and sign up for our announcement event that's going to happen on September 14th of 2023 you won't want to miss it. Book is Wireframing for Everyone. It's available on Amazon. And with that, let's dive into your conversation.
1: Leon, thank you so much for joining us here at Sarves for the Rest of Us. I left on this chance to run this interview because I have a degree in draft design. And I'm personally already aware around the benefits of wireframing and why you should use wireframing. But when I joined the startup world and started working with entrepreneurs and founders, I found that the term wireframing wasn't often used. So what brought you to this wireframing world and what drives your passion to it? And maybe you can kind of explain what wireframing is for the audience that is um, listening to the podcast.
2: Sure, Uh, happy to answer these questions. I'm really excited to be here. So I started my career as a UX designer. um, And when I started a long, long time ago, the default tools for UX designers were things like Photoshop and designers were expected to kind of create these pixel perfect mock-ups. And then when I was in my first job, I was realizing that that work was not making its way into the product, except for maybe icons or some of these graphic assets that the tools that we were expected to use were not really actually very effective for helping to build a product. And so I found myself turning to tools like PowerPoint and Visio to kind of like capture ideas and concepts that I thought would be much more useful in having actual conversations. I don't know if I even knew the term wireframing at the time. And then when this tool Balsamic came out and I heard it was, you know, for creating wireframes I was like oh this is the tool for me this is a tool that will help me communicate my design ideas which is a very different process from say building something that looks like a, a final product because I was finding that really it was the in the organization I worked at which was very it was enterprise software it was very developer focused it was the developers that were leading things and so I needed a way to participate in those conversations and insert myself into the conversations. And I found that having these kind of sketchy, low fidelity artifacts, which is what wireframes are, they're kind of like a digital version of a napkin sketch, was really a great way to get more engagement with the people who are actually uh, having an effect on the product.
1: Yes. And I think that's a term that most entrepreneurs or founders are heard is the napkin sketch. So, you know, the stories of that brilliant entrepreneur has this big company and it all started because that person was at a restaurant sketching on a napkin, their first ideas or prototypes. So that's a wireframe in, in a sense.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, but it's, it's, funny because the product balsamic was originally called balsamic mock-ups because that's what they were called at the at adobe where the, the founder worked prior to this um, some people also call them prototypes because they're a way to kind of prototype uh the interaction of a, of a product but i think wireframe is the best term because it's really a it's a sketch it's an outline it's meant to be low fidelity uh, which means like you know, mostly black and white, not as many details. Um, and obviously it comes from the world of like industrial design, you know, pre-digital days where you were building something, a frame made out of wire, <laughs> uh, which obviously wasn't going to be the final thing. So yes, I think wireframe is, is a good term for people to understand and use, but I understand there's a lot of terms out there in every industry. And so people are not using the the right, technically correct term then that's okay part of the book is helping to explain the difference between a wireframe and other types of artifacts
1: so a founder could look at a wireframe if they're going to put it into more founder terms that they might be used to of, you know, that napkin sketch, those lines and boxes, things that are super low fidelity, like you mentioned. So what are some of the specific differences and the reasons why you should start with low fidelity for wireframing is the urge to start adding those details? You know, I know that I had to struggle with this as, as a designer because I'll start with my page and I say, what do I want on this page? What do I want? Like, how do I want things to work? You're like, okay, cool. I have my headline on the top and then I have my images. And then you're like, ooh, what is my headline going to say? What what are things I could use in my headline? And then like, oh, what is that photo going to be? And so the, you know, the initial prototype I'm working on is moving more and more high fidelity. is more and more detail there. So can you expand on some of the reasons why you want to keep something low fidelity and maybe go into the ideation process there or like reducing that urge to move into high fidelity, something that has more content?
2: Yeah. You really captured some of the the traps that are out there and it's really, it's just human nature. It's not people aren't wrong or bad for doing it. It's so easy to get ahead of ourselves when we get into design, especially when you're building a product and you have other competitors to look at, you you want to make something real. It's it's kind of in our in our nature and that's why that's what's so attractive about the napkin sketch is that there's only so far you can take it. But with digital tools today, you can make something that looks and feels real in an afternoon, you know, but The big challenge is, is that the right product? Is that the product you should be building? Is that what people are going to pay you to ship? And in my experience, what I found is that if you really ask the right questions and do the right work upfront, then the design details can come later and they kind of fall into place. But if you get things wrong in the beginning and you're not answering those fundamental questions about, what is the goal of this product, who are my users, what is this trying to serve, what information needs to go on there and what doesn't, then that's really what's going to be most useful. And a, and a wireframe, especially if you're using a tool that's dedicated only for wireframing, then it kind of forces you, you to do that and makes it hard even to get into some of those details because the design process has separate distinct phases and they should be, there's a right time and a place for different levels of of detail.
1: Right. And I think that's a great place to kind of dive into in terms of like that how-to, how do founders get started and how they start using wireframes for ideation. Because another urge I think a lot of people might have is to create one wireframe and then take that one wireframe and, and go to different people in their company to their customers and get feedback on that one wireframe. I think your book does a really good job of talking about the value of creating lots of different ideas. So maybe from a founder's perspective, what does that look like? How do you use wireframes to start generating those ideas and start going through different thoughts you might have or different directions you want to take?
2: Yeah, the first chapter of our book, Wireframing for Everyone, um, is really dedicated to explaining why wireframes matter and really more than that, the value of low fidelity and iteration and coming up with lots of different ideas. We reference examples from other industries where a chef is not, you know, a very successful chef is going to try 10 different dishes for every one that they're actually going to put out there. Um, And the same with a lot of other industries and examples. So your first idea is often not your best idea. And yeah, you can... Build it. It's great that you can build that idea right, you know, so quickly, but you really owe it to yourself and your audience to try to come up with as many ideas as you can early on. And that's really going to help you generate better ideas, kind of merge and, and combine ideas. So it's really all about making time for creativity in the beginning and allowing yourself to be creative. And it doesn't have to take a long time because you're not trying to, you're not investing a lot of time to make something that looks final, you're just letting your imagination go wild and being okay with that and, you know, reserving judgment and all of that kind of things, Uh, you know, that kind of brainstorming mentality. Um, And that can be really useful because you can do it in an afternoon and you've got 10, 20 different ideas that you didn't have when you started. And you've learned things that you didn't know that you knew maybe, or you've found out questions that you didn't know that you needed answers to. And just spending a day to do that, it's going to get you off on such a better foot than trying and going ahead and building your first idea.
1: Yeah, so for example, they're working on their landing page for their product. So rather than creating, you know, one wireframe of their initial idea and just building it I don't know, do you have like a rule of thumb for how many different iterations, something where someone can say, like, this is a good amount of ideas out there? Because I think your book goes into, you know, there's the obvious ideas, but there's also tactics that you have in your book and how to find the non-obvious ideas, how to step out of there. So specifically, like, how would a founder go through this process if they're like, say, creating a landing page?
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up yeah creativity is not you know there's a whole art to creativity and sometimes often the best way to be more creative is to impose constraints so you know if you just say oh let me just come up with a landing page then you might have you're like well you know you're only maybe going to come up with what you've what you already can picture in your head but if you say you know, what if I can't use any text or what if I, what what if it has to be text only, or, you know, let me start with a a mobile version of it, or let me do it in the, you know, what if it has to be targeted at children, you know, coming up with kind of these sometimes artificial constraints, or sometimes they can be realistic constraints. You know, what if I'm targeting people in countries that don't have good access to the internet and the whole page needs to load and, you know, be half a megabyte or something like that, you know. So there are some techniques that you can use, or you can just tap into that subconscious and say, okay, I'm going to make myself do eight different ideas in five minutes. And, you know, so you don't really engage your, the judgmental part of your brain and you just let that more primitive subconscious part kind of kick into high gear. And then there's also this idea of just really pushing yourself to create one more, you know, when you're tired and you don't think you can have any more ideas, maybe just saying, okay, let me just... Do one more that just might be crazy and might not make any sense, but then maybe there's one little piece of it that you end up using in the final product. So, yeah, there's a couple strategies, but most of them involve either pushing yourself or, or imposing some kind of constraints in order to stimulate your creativity.
1: Right. So rather than looking at a page saying, I'm creating a landing page, you're asking yourself different questions as you're going through this, whether using a tool like balsamic or pen and paper, creating really quick sketches of boxes and lines and different ways of laying this information out and different ways of approaching this process. And wireframing really allows someone to go through each of these ideas very quickly, because you can imagine that mocking up every single one of these questions. How would this be for mobile? How would it be for mobile for people of low bandwidth trying to do a full mock-up on those would be quite difficult and very time consuming. So like liar framing is really there. So you can like iterate so quickly and just go through all these ideas and try to see if you can get to that, like that, that nugget, that really special idea that you weren't thinking of in the beginning.
2: Yeah, exactly. That the cost of having bad ideas or ideas that don't go anywhere is so low that there's not really any penalty to creating an idea that you're not sure about because Yeah, because it doesn't cost you very much time. So,
1: We've covered why wireframes should be low fidelity and quick and easy and whatnot in terms of uh, for ideation and the process of creating wireframes. Can we go a little bit more into the value of wireframes for communication? You know, So again, for a founder who's listening to this podcast, there's probably a lot of situations where they have the ideas in their head of, or maybe some really basic wireframes of, of kind of the direction they want to go. And now they're hiring a designer, a contract designer, maybe someone who has a lot of context about their their company, or they're working with the developer to implement that vision. How can wireframing be used uh, as a tool to aid in communication?
2: Yeah, so here's where it's a little bit tricky because the temptation is to build something that looks final and the assumption that if you make, say, a mock-up or pixel-perfect version of something that you can hand off to somebody, that they will understand it. And if you say, oh, if I create a wireframe, then there's going to be a lot of things that they understand. But what we don't realize is what's not communicated in even some of the high-fidelity things. And so it's often better just to have something low fidelity and then have a conversation around it because you can hand off something that looks final and get something back that's totally different because you didn't specify how it should be on mobile or how it should should resize, for example. So they're a really good tool to aid in communication, but not to be seen as like a replacement for communication. So kind of like a, a picture is worth a thousand words but also, you know, you can talk about that picture. And then also with wireframes, one of the key concepts to understand is that you can annotate them. You can, because they're not gonna be mistaken for the final design, you can put pictures, you can put words on them, you can put little sticky notes and arrows, and you can use a, you know, bright red or pink or something to say, oh, when you click this, it should do this. So feel free to mix in words and instructions and sticky notes and, and all kinds of things to, help them be easier to understand. But, you know, the best way to communicate is to sit down with somebody in front of that wireframe and talk them through it. And then, so they can ask questions, they can even give you ideas and maybe you can, in your session, you can make changes there on the fly. That ultimately communication is best between people. And just because you can create something that looks final Don't mistake that as a reason not to have a a conversation with somebody because there's so many nuances and so many details and talking to somebody about something is, is such a rich forum for that.
1: Right. In one situation, you might have this full design up for a landing page. And of course, the designer is going to take a look at it and just implement it. Maybe not the designer, but maybe the contractor or developer you hired. However, if you have a wireframe that has annotations with additional context of the things you want to do and the way that things are working, and then the wireframe itself being low fidelity feels easier to to have a conversation about because it's not final. So the other person on their side of the, you know, of the screen can look at it and using their own imagination kind of go into different directions and have a better conversation or they have an easier time having a conversation with you because they know that things are not in a final state. You know, I think that's a really interesting point that you make in this book is another one of the powers of the low fidelity or maybe even medium fidelity at this point, maybe you've started to add in some of those headlines in order to have those conversations with other people.
2: Yeah. I mean, that word conversation is so important. Wireframes help you have a conversation um, and they help you get feedback, you know? So if you show somebody something that isn't final, you're going to have a conversation. That's where the value, that's what you want. You know, you want to have that conversation. And so, yeah, that's what's really valuable, I'd say, about wireframes.
0: Life as a founder can put a strain on even the strongest relationships, but spending dedicated quality time with your better half can help you recharge and refocus. And who better to help you make the most of those moments than our friends at Created With Love. Picture this, you and your partner wrapped up in laughter and friendly competition, all thanks to Created With Love's handcrafted board games tailored specifically for couples. These games not only reignite the connection between you, but also give you a much-needed breather from your startup's never-ending demands. From cooperative problem-solving challenges to competitive head-to-head showdowns, Created with Love offers a variety of game types that cater to every couple's unique tastes. Say goodbye to boring date nights and say hello to fun delivered right to your doorstep. And with Created with Love's monthly subscription boxes, you can hit pause on the endless TV binge-watching and play something new every month. If you're ready to unwind from the daily startup grind, head over to createdwithlove.com. That's C-R-A-T-E-D, with love, to level up your next date night. And for listeners of this podcast, you can use code STARTUPS during checkout for an exclusive 15% off your first order.
1: So a founder, so you're listening to this and they're interested about working with wireframes, are probably not starting from a completely blank slate usually they'll have a landing page, you know, already designed, maybe they have their onboarding flow that's already set. And they're looking at that saying, okay, I want to change this. I know that there's problems here and I want to change it. And I think the urge there would be to just start moving things around within that live page or start working with their existing components that are right there. So how can these folks use the process of wireframing, you know, instead of going from like say, high fidelity to high fidelity, where does wireframing come into play here when you already have something that's, that's launched and out of the world and you're not starting from scratch?
2: That's a great question. I think it goes back to that idea of of things being low cost. So you can experiment with things much more easily. So one of the things that we encourage in the book is when you're starting a wireframe to start really low fidelity. So start with some words. So I would say if you're doing a redesign for a landing page, just start by writing down some of the changes that you want to make, some of the things you think are working and and are not working and start writing those down even on a wireframe and maybe just playing around with some of the words saying, oh, I want to have a call to action here. I want to do a better job of highlighting some of the features here and maybe even just laying out in sticky note or having box placeholders for where you think things should go to really take you out of being stuck on on that current design. You know, you're going to get a lot more creative ideas if you just say, well, let me just focus on the content for a second and not get hung up on how it looks currently and come up with five different variations of just having things in different places without really thinking about the appearance so much. And I think that's just going to open you up to so many new and different ideas that are really centered around, okay, what is the content? What are people's goals? Um, Rather than thinking about what visual elements might, you know, attract people's eye or even, you know, how should the navigation be, but just really not having to think about, oh, I'm building a user interface, but think about I'm focused on the content, the information that's going to be on here and I can almost step outside of the what I think of as the design, but the the, the content, the, the information on there is a, is the first step in design as well. So it allows you to kind of work at different layers of abstraction, you know, or different layers of, of design, the very kind of the layer zero or something, which is just the non-visual level.
1: I think that's a really great point to kind of jump into in terms of this design process, because, you know, your book is wireframing for everyone. And so that, the. the the instinct we are reading that is, I guess, specifically about wireframing. But I think this book, it's a really succinct, easy to read, 150-ish pages book. Is not just wireframing, or at least it, it explains why wireframing isn't just the actual process of creating boxes and lines and doing this layout. It's a lot of it is around that customer research process and why that's important and why that goes into it. The other parts of the book, like we talked about communication already, there's parts of the book that go onto visual hierarchy, which I think is really important. So all it's all these design principles, these, these pieces that really help someone who's a non-designer kind of understand what the design process is and how it's not just like, say, creating a layout but it's really like understanding the goals behind the website and what you're trying to build and then having this tool so you can kind of iterate on that what went into the decision between you and your your co-authors Michael Angelis and Billy Carlson what went into the decision to create a book where the focus wasn't just on wireframing or were there iterations that this book went into? Did you start just on wireframing and then realizing that the topic had to be broader? Kind of curious about the background there.
2: Yeah, thanks for for recognizing that and bring that up. Yeah, I would say this book is not just about wireframing. And it's, you know, the reason we added for everyone to the title is to show that wireframing is a technique that everybody can use because it's something that can apply to all parts of, of the process, to many roles. And there's this idea of, you know, there's a wireframe as an artifact, but wireframing, you know, as an act is kind of a way of, it's really a way of thinking about things that you want to invest time into exploration and, you know, and discovery and uh, answering fundamental questions early on. So the other nice thing about the book is that it all comes from real world experience. And I I was a mentor for a boot camp. Uh, I've seen a lot of educational resources for UX designers and they talk about wireframing, wireframing, wireframes, how to create them, but they don't tell you how things work in the real world. And so, you know, the three of us authors, we all worked for different types of software companies in our lives and we saw what wireframes can do the the value that they can provide. And it's really as a way of getting people engaged in having those design conversations, having more people have, you know, a seat at the table in the, in the design process. And so uh, as far as the three of us writing it, we all had slightly different backgrounds. None of us were authors. So we were really nervous about, how are we actually going to write a book? So A, it was nice that we had three people working on it. Uh, And B, it was really great that we worked with the book apart as editors to help us, you know, craft it into something that all work together and, you know, helped us cut out a lot of a lot of fluff. So Billy has a background in graphic design, so he really understands how that element of it can improve your wireframes. I worked a lot with developers and PMs to try to understand the software development process and how and where design and different types of design can fit in. Michelangelo is a great UI designer, big advocate for wireframes, and is really good at finding ways to give feedback and communicate with people to kind of come together on things. So we all had a different areas of expertise, but we all knew that a wireframe is just an artifact. It's just, a, it's just a tool. It's not really, it doesn't add any value on its own because it's not something that ships to the customer. So it's really what they can be used for that's the most important thing. I mean, anybody can learn how to wireframe in half an hour, but that's not going to, help you necessarily be more successful at getting your design ideas in, into the into the final product because really that's kind of a unifying theme in the book is that what matters is what ships <laughs> and wireframes are a way to kind of bring people on the team together to ship something that everybody's happy with and works for the customer as well as for the business and everything like that so it's it's just a really it's just a piece of the puzzle <laughs>
1: Other than your book, what two to three resources would you recommend for folks who are non-designers wanting to, say, jump into this area and feel a bit more confident in starting out with doing design and starting to create things from scratch?
2: Sure. I'm going to bring up the resources uh, chapter or section right here. But um, one of the things that was fun was to dig into some of those resources and reread them. I think one of the biggest inspirations was a book called Sketching User Experiences, by Bill uh, Buxton, and it's very philosophical. It's a it's a fun read, but it's not, it's very abstract, but it really talks about the sketching process. And there's so much emphasis on creativity and, you know, just coming out of that, you, it's hard to think of why you wouldn't spend time upfront doing this and just what value it provides. And so that was, we wanted kind of a condensed version of that that was also more applicable to real software processes. So Sketching User Experiences is a great book. We love books like Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug, which is a great way of seeing how kind of how a UX designer sees the world, that it's not about the layout. It's not about the aesthetics. Um, it's about finding a way that your user can use your application in an intuitive way and in trying to put yourself in, the, in their shoes. So yeah, our book is kind of a summary of a lot of other books or or topics from other books, but then also another book that we really like is UX for Lean Startups by Laura Klein, and she talks about wireframes in it. So we kind of felt like our book would be inserted into the point where she talks about wireframes and it's like, okay, now here's a deeper dive into them, but about how to work in a lean kind of agile way where you're not spending a lot of time Doing work that isn't adding value to the product. So I love the ideas of lean UX and lean and kind of lean startup mentality. And so I think it fits really nicely into into those books as well.
1: I'm also a huge fan of all the lean startup world, lean UX world because it's something I think a lot of founders. It's really useful for founders as they're building companies as we are trying to avoid the tendencies to really expand how much work we have to do and figure out the ways that we can kind of tighten up our work. So I guess this is a great example of something that might look like we're adding more work to our plate is if we're trying to cover all the aspects of building a startup by adding the wireframing part as you are are working on your ideas for your landing page, it might feel like, oh, I could just cut this out and save myself more time. And I think that we've really covered in this why that process, while it might take more time, saves you more time in the long run when you're trying to be efficient with building your startup because you can land on a better idea faster due to these wireframes. Is that correct?
2: Yes. I mean, I think it absolutely fits in. I mean, lean is all about doing experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And in the same way, that can feel like a waste of time. Why am I going to do the work to, you know, come up with two different ideas for a landing page when I could just spend less time and build one, you know, but it's all about, you know, experiment and test and iterate. And that's exactly what wireframes allow you to do is come up with 10 different ideas in the same amount of time that it would take you to come up with one more polished idea. And then you know, test those, get feedback, put them in front of customers, maybe. So find out if you're on the right track before you start coding, because that's when things get expensive. It's once you start investing in code, once you ship a a full fledged product that's out in the world, you know, it's harder to make changes to it. But it's easy to make changes when you're in the early phases, when it's mostly internal. And so it really, I think, is going to save you time in the long run.
1: I love that point. I think that's a really great way to kind of start wrapping things up. So to go through some of our points that we've, we've put out here, you know, wireframing is the process of creating these low fidelity mockups of the things that you're trying to design. And you can use those low fidelity mockups to help in your ideation process and run through many different ideas. And you can use those mockups in the communication process to work better with the designers and contractors and team members as you are building your product. Are there any other things that you want to leave us with as we wrap up?
2: Yeah. One of the things that, one of the messages that we want to get across, especially for, you know, startup founders, people who don't have a designer is that design work is not maybe what you think it is, you know? So common mistake we see non-designers make is trying to act as a designer or do what they think a designer does, which is, you know, making something that looks cool. But a good designer is is someone who asks a lot of questions. You know, what is the use case? Who's going to be using it? How often are they going to be using it? So think about wireframes as a tool to help you answer those questions, help come up with ideas around those key important questions and and resist that temptation to try to make something that looks finished. And so use wireframes as just one tool, just the way that you would use the other tools in your toolbox. And so don't think about, okay, now I'm doing the, the design, but just think of them as a tool at your disposal to help solve certain problems that you have. It's just one of the tools among many. Um, and so don't get stuck on these categories about, oh, now I'm a designer, you know, or now I'm designing. Really, it's all, it's all part of the, the same thing, which is helping you come up with the the right solution for the problem that you're trying to solve.
1: That's fantastic. I love it. Let's end on that. Thank you so much, Leon. It's been a joy to talk with you. If folks want to follow up with you, you can be found on LinkedIn under your name or at Twitter on Leon, uh, is it Barnard? I forgot to ask yeah, that at Barnard. the beginning, uh-huh. Barnard. Leon, at Leon Barnard. Your book can be found by searching for wireframing for everyone. It's on Amazon. It's also on your publisher's website, A Book Apart. And if people want to jump into more about wireframing, Balsamic, your employer has Wireframing Academy with tons more content about wireframing for free, and that can be found at balsamic.com/learn. We'll make sure to add all these links into the show notes. So, Leon, anything else you want to um, point people to?
2: Uh, I don't think so. I would love to. your feedback on it. I'd love to uh, see some reviews. And this is something that I love talking about. So I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity.
1: Appreciate you taking the time with us. Thank you so much for, um, for being here and giving us such a great review of this often hidden part of the design process.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Thanks so much to Leon for coming on the show. Again, the book is Wireframing for Everyone, published by A Book Apart. It's available on Amazon or wherever greater books are sold. And thanks again to Tracy Osborne for putting in the work and uh, interviewing Leon. If you want to keep up with her, you can follow her, Tracy Makes, on Twitter or x.com, wherever you get your social media fix. And thank you for joining me this and every week, whether it's been 10 episodes or 10 years. I appreciate you coming back. If you keep listening, I'll keep recording. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 677.